People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Later on in scripture, toward the end, it says this. It says, the Lord is near. So do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the ways that all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, how it all points to Jesus. Not just to a Savior, to a Messiah, but points specifically to the person of Jesus. Like I firmly believe that it all points to him. Now the first passage that I read, it's from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is an Old Testament book. And it's an Old Testament book that is filled with tension because it's full of equal measures of judgment and hope. And it was written to the people of Israel. It was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. That second passage that I read comes from the Apostle Paul. It was written to the first churches, the first followers of Jesus, and it was written about 30 years after his death and resurrection. It all points to Jesus. But we have a problem If we reflect on those passages, there's a problem. It tells us that a child is born, the prince of peace. Isaiah said that his kingdom and his peace will know no end. Paul tells us that we can find that peace that transcends all understanding. Y'all, I'm just telling you, an unbelieving world is gonna raise an objection to this. And the reality is we may, coming in here today, we may raise an objection to this. All we have to do is look at the world around us. Like we are here to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And this is a season of joy and peace and hope. But we're celebrating the season of joy, peace and hope the same way we do every year. Surrounded by war and threats of war around the world. Crime and violence rage on. Disharmony and disorder everywhere we look. Some of you are going to be spending extended time with your extended families. That can be about as chaotic and volatile as anything that you read on the news. But there is chaos all around us. Christians don't have blinders on. We don't ignore the reality of what's happening around us. And the truth is, you're not going to like the way this sounds, but I promise you this is the truth. Evil and chaos in the world, that is the real reason for this season. The fact that evil and chaos are in the world is the reason that we need Christmas in the first place. This child, this Prince of Peace, When you look around, does it seem like he's in control? And this is the great objection to our faith. If there is a God and if God is good, then why is there so much evil in the world? Why does God allow? Dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. Here's the problem. When we ask that question that way, why does God allow? Typically what we're doing is we're looking outside of ourselves. Right? Why does God allow them to do that? We usually don't start with, why am I doing this? We start from the outside. In fact, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves on the throne of the universe. And we're looking down and we're making our own judgments. 
And we're seeing everything as it's happening to us. The things that are happening around us, the chaos and the noise are external to us. We're putting ourselves in the place of God. And we look down on creation and we wonder, look, I see clearly there's a problem. Why doesn't God do something about it? We may even start to problem solve on our own. I mean, here's what I would do. (laughs) Dot, 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 and you fill in the blanks, right? Y'all, that's not our place. That's not our place. And I'm convinced that if we can accept that, that there is a way we can understand all this. That there is a way that we can find peace in this tension. That there's a way that we can find our rest in God's promises that we can defiantly celebrate. That's been an important word for me this season. That we can defiantly celebrate this Prince of Peace even now in the midst of all the mess. But if we're gonna do that, we've gotta get back in our place. And if we're gonna do that, we gotta turn our perspective upside down. And I'm convinced at the very start of scripture, it helps us to do just that. So I wanna show you something. I wanna show you how the very first story, the story before all stories, the story that started before time itself, I wanna show you how it not only points to Jesus, but how it helps reorient us and it can help us find our rest and experience his peace now and forever. This happens in the first two chapters of scripture. And there's something about the way it's actually written that makes this really clear. These creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2, if you're familiar with them, one creation story told two very different ways. The details don't even line up. This one story is told from two completely different perspectives. And in between is one verse that provides a transition. And just the way it's worded I think is the key to helping us get a new perspective and it's the key to helping us solve our little problem of living the good news in the midst of the tension. So we have to start really quick in Genesis 1. God speaks and what happens? Say it louder, I can't. There's a bunch of hands, but... All right, yeah, stuff, right? Like God speaks and just stuff happens. I mean, things come into shape. We don't know exactly how or how long it took. It just says he spoke and it happened. And then after he saw what he made, what did he call it? Good. And then the pinnacle of creation is this moment when God speaks and these image bearers are formed, this male and female, humanity. And then he takes them and he puts them in the garden and he puts them in charge of everything he made. If I'm sitting on the throne, I wouldn't have done it that way. (laughs) Pretty risky. But scripture tells us that it's at that point that God says, everything is not just good. What is it? It's very good. Everything is now very good. And at that point, there is rest and there is peace. God with his ruling image bearers in the midst of creation himself all living together in a relational harmony, everything working just as God intended it. Now that moment, that moment is the biblical definition of peace. Peace is not the absence of war and conflict. Peace is life with God, with each other, within creation, everything functioning as God intended for it to function. And we had that on the seventh day. If only that were the end of the story, right? 
If we skip a chapter, we see in Genesis 3 that that relational harmony is thrown completely out of tune. And there is no rest, there is no peace because those ruling image bearers chose to do it their own way. They chose disobedience. And because of it, now nothing works. In between those two chapters is Genesis 2 and it bridges the divide. It's the transition between the creation story in Genesis 1 and the way everything falls apart in Genesis 3. And I want you to hear this one verse in Genesis 2. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Did you hear the shift? We're coming out of Genesis 1. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And that Genesis 1 creation story, it is told from the perspective of heaven, looking down on everything that God has made. But this one verse now takes us out of that chapter and into chapter two, where we find a retelling of the same creation story, but this time it says, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This next story is told from the perspective of earth. The creation story told standing here in the dirt, looking out at everything around us. This is so important in Genesis one, God is above. In Genesis 2, God is here with us. Go home later today. Like read that story in Genesis 2 for yourself. Notice the very earthly perspective from which creation and even God himself is described. Like I went through the story and kind of making this up, right? So uh, the first thing I see, I see God as a potter. He's an artist. He's a creator. And he shapes and he forms this man out of dirt. And then after he does that, he changes roles. Now God's a first responder. (laughs) And he breathes life into this dirt man. He's not resuscitating him. He's breathing breath into lungs for the very first time. I guess he's not a resuscitator. He's a suscitator. I don't know. Is that? (laughs) And then God's a gardener. Like he's a farmer, he's planting and he's causing vegetation to grow. Then God becomes a civil engineer. He creates waterways to help the water flow into the garden so that everything will flourish. Then once he's set everything up, God becomes a teacher. He's a master and he places his apprentice in the garden. He teaches them how to take care of it, how to manage it, how to care for creation so that it will flourish under his rule. Then God looks around and he sees the man is alone and he thinks that's not good, so God becomes a rancher. (laughs) He creates and brings in all these creatures that crawl on the ground and soar in the skies and he gives them to the man to name them. And then God, in all of his wisdom, in all of his power, he becomes an anesthesiologist and a plastic surgeon. (laughs) And he causes the man to fall asleep And as the man sleeps, he takes a rib from his side and out of it, he forms a woman. And he doesn't form the woman out of a bone of the man's foot, right? Because that would mean that the woman would stand beneath the man. And he doesn't form the woman out of a bone of the man's head because that would mean that the woman is above the man. In his wisdom and his power, he takes a bone from the man's side So the woman stands side by side with him 
under his arm of protection as they live together in the garden. And then the most beautiful story, the way the whole chapter ends, God is a pastor and he officiates the marriage of this man and this woman. And then he places them in their new home. He shows up from time to time to visit. He takes a walk with them to see how things are going, to see how the kids are getting along. Y'all, that is the very earthly perspective from which the creation story is told in Genesis 2. God down here in the dirt, in the muck and the mud, getting his hands dirty to shape us and to show us how to live. And that's our place. That's where we belong. And that's the perspective from which we can begin to understand reality. It's the way that we can start to find peace. If we start within creation, and if we start with the relationships that God created us to live in, the relationship with creation, with each other, with ourselves, and with God. That's our place. That's the perspective from which we can begin to see how the child enters into the picture. God literally getting down in the dirt, in the muck and the mud, getting his hands dirty to establish peace, to fix what's broken. When God decides to fix what's broken, he doesn't start with the nations by establishing peace there. What he does is he establishes peace within the hearts of every human. He starts from the bottom up. Y'all, in all the chaos and the noise around us, like if you want to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace, the shalom, the wholeness, the completion that God delivers and desires for us through his son Jesus, don't start with all the troubles of the world outside of you. Look within and look at each relationship one at a time. Like maybe you are experiencing conflict and chaos in your relationship with creation. And I don't necessarily mean like your relationship with plants and animals. <laughs> like now we are here to care for all of that, to help it thrive. But what I mean by your relationship with creation, it's simply your place within it. Like in Genesis one, God creates humanity and he gives us two commands. There's two commands in the creation story. And I love the way the message translates it. It says this, it says, God blessed them. And in quotations, he says to them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth and take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Like God is saying, I made you, now go. Make more of you because there's a lot of work to be done but get to work. Now we were made in the image of a creator and we were made to be creative, to work. And in the beginning, that work was good. Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you're a creator. Maybe you're a first responder, a gardener, a rancher, a teacher, an engineer, a doctor, a surgeon, an anesthesiologist, whatever your gift and your calling, all the roles that God played in the creation of the world, those roles are now given to us. Some of you may feel like you've already done your work. No, you finished your job. And you're, 
experiencing the fruits of that labor. But y'all, I'm telling you, you've got work to do. Like maybe you're experiencing confusion and chaos in your relationship with creation because you just haven't found your place in it. Whether you're young and you don't know what you're doing yet or you're older and you think you've already done it all. Maybe you know exactly what you're here to do, but are you allowing the way of Jesus to guide you as you do it? Like, are you doing that work well? Are you doing it ethically? Are you doing that work in a way that brings peace to others? If you don't have peace in your relationship with your work, with your place in creation, then maybe it's time to let Jesus sit on the throne of your life and see what he can accomplish in and through you. What about your relationship with others? The last verse of Genesis 2 says this, it says, for that reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Y'all, this isn't about nudity. It's about masks. And somebody pointed this out to me earlier. I don't mean N95 masks. <laughs> I'm, talking about, I'm talking about psychological masks, right? Like, Sometimes we put on disguises because we're pretending to be somebody else. But y'all, I'm telling you, every single one of us puts on a mask because we don't want people to see who we really are. Like naked and not ashamed, it's the Bible's way of saying that the humans were fully exposed, inside and out, yet they still live together in that garden in peace, knowing everything there is to know about each other, fully aware of each other. And in doing that, they felt no shame. You see, shame in the Bible is different from what we call guilt. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. And we can argue and disagree on whether what I did was actually wrong or not. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Bible is talking about shame. Shame doesn't say I've done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that I am something wrong. And that's why we put on masks. Like much of the chaos that we experience in our relationships with others is because there's a brokenness in our relationship with ourselves. Like maybe there's just something wrong with me. We're not just disoriented because we've done wrong things. We're disoriented because to one degree or another, we all just know something's wrong. Like we're not quite as God created us to be. And we know that. So we hide. We put on masks. Our relationship with ourselves is broken and that impacts our relationships with others. We put on these masks when we're together in person and we put them on as we present ourselves online. We are not naked or transparent as the Bible intends us to be. What we do instead is we cover ourselves with every layer possible. Like we have gone from being naked and not ashamed to being not naked and ashamed. <laughs> Everything is upside down. And there's no peace internally or externally because of it. And I'm telling you, this just isn't the way we were created to live. So if you don't have peace in your relationship with others or with yourself, maybe it's time to let the Prince of Peace sit on the throne of your life, see what he can accomplish in and through you. 
And I'm telling you, as somebody who has made that decision and every day wakes up asking myself, am I gonna make that decision today? <laughs> like, right? Like I made that decision at one point in time, but every day I gotta wake up and say, am I gonna make that decision today too? Am I gonna let him be on the throne of my life as I go about my day? And then at lunchtime, I have to ask myself again. <laughs> and then at dinner time, maybe ask myself again, right? But if you let him sit on that throne and take over every part of your life, you're gonna hear some really sweet things. Like if you'll listen, you'll hear him as he tells you that even in your brokenness and shame, even though something is wrong, he thinks you're worthy. Like he thinks you're worthy of his descent into this broken world. That he thinks you're worthy of his suffering and dying. That he has taken everything that's separating you from yourself, that's separating you from others, he's taken it to the grave and he left it there when he rose on Easter morning. Y'all, the creator of the universe believes that you're worthy of it all. So who cares what anybody else thinks? The creator of the universe believes that you're worthy of this, so you can lose the disguises. Keep your clothes on, right? But, but you can lose the disguises. You can drop the false pretenses. You can live as one of God's beloved. You can walk out of this room and every single room with your head held high because you are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of God and you are loved not because of anything that you have done. You're loved simply because God has chosen to love you. So you can walk out of this in every room with your head held high and you can find the peace that the child has come to bring. But in this season where we celebrate love, joy, and hope, we often find our experience to be far from it and we struggle to find peace. And I'm telling you the simple reason that there's so much chaos, the simple reason there's such a lack of peace in all of those relationships, it's because we so often say no or we say not right now to the most important relationship of all, our relationship with our maker, our savior, savior and our friend. That's why it seems as if there is no peace because that is the relationship behind all the others. Without a restored relationship with God, we can never find peace in our place here on earth. We can't find peace within ourselves or with one another. Without that relationship, we're lost and alone. If, if God is not telling you that you are worthy, even in the midst of your mess, that you are worthy of everything he's done, who are you gonna hear that message from? Somebody else in the world, and what are they telling you? You're not, you're not quite worthy yet. Before you take off all the masks, let's get a little prettier. Let's get a little more in shape. Let's work on that personality a bit. You're not quite worthy yet. That's the voice you're gonna hear from everybody other than God himself. The good news is, the story doesn't end there. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. He has turned the perspective of the universe upside down by leaving his forever throne, by getting down in the muck and the mud with us, by helping us to find him. And he did that by looking like us. And because of his obedience to the cross, because of his death and resurrection, he has made the relationship with God possible once again. And I'm telling you, when that relationship is order, in order, when that relationship is in order, the other three begin to fall into place. 
And notice I said when that relationship is in order. I didn't say perfect or complete. But when that relationship is in the right order, when it's first, all the others begin to fall into place. We are here to celebrate this morning. This beautiful music is all proclaiming that the child has come, that he is the Prince of Peace. And everybody say it together with me and with Brian. His kingdom and his peace will know no end. Y'all, if we just turn our perspective upside down, we can come to know this truth in deeply profound and personal ways even now. We can experience this love, joy, hope, and peace at Christmas now throughout the year. And we can defiantly celebrate today and every day in the face of the chaos and evil all around us. When this becomes the core of who you are, you can come to truly know what Paul said in Philippians 4, that peace of God. Everybody say it together. That peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to end this today with a poem. Um, I'm not a poet and I'm not really a, anyway, whatever. Uh, I want to end with a poem. (laughs) When I got to the office this morning, a friend had texted this to me and it's just perfect. It's by a poet named John Blaze and it's called Christmas On. I just can't imagine anything that better summarizes what we were talking about today. So uh, listen to this. It says, in the face of seasoned waves of evil, that we would sing that old Noel, that we would hang lights on branches, that we would give gifts to others, even if that gift is only ourselves. This, this is a defiance seemingly impotent against the principalities and powers who daily conspire to convince us that we are alone and love is a lie. But do not be deceived for the demons themselves tremble at our quaintness. So sisters and brothers, Christmas on. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, grateful for good news delivered to us in the form of the child in the midst, in the midst of the tension and the struggles of this world. We do long for the day that you return to make all things new and make all things right once and for all. But until then, show us how. Show us how we can find that peace within and the relationships you've made us for. The more of us in this room that are doing that, the greater impact we'll have on our neighborhood, in our city, and around the world we may actually find peace. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.